We are back with another episode of the Fed Advantage podcast. I'm your host, Dan Delatori, and today we're going to be concluding our series, Roadmap to Your Federal Retirement. Now, over the series, we've discussed FERS Retirement, Social Security, TSP, and we even interviewed a federal benefits specialist. This series theme was creating a roadmap. So to conclude the series, we're going to discuss retirement income, charting a course to help your money last. The truth is, retirement expenses may be higher than you think. About 34% of retirees said their overall expenses were higher than what they had expected. So it's really important that you make sure you have a plan in place that will help make your money last. On this episode, we're going to cover four steps to developing an income strategy, preparing for the unexpected, envisioning your retirement, refining your investment mix, and choosing a distribution method for assets. First things first is you need to prepare for the unexpected. Even the most well thought out financial strategy could be derailed by some risks you may encounter in retirement. Your ability to live the retirement lifestyle you want and deserve may depend on how prepared you are to manage and overcome several risks. The risks we're going to cover are longevity, inflation, healthcare, financial markets, and sequence of returns. Starting with longevity, the good news is, is that you may live a long time. The challenge is making sure your retirement assets last as long as you do. Based on life expectancy statistics, a retired 65-year-old man has a 54% chance to live to age 85, and for a female, it's a 65% chance. For a couple, there's an 84% chance one person will live to age 85. So how confident are you that you will be able to live comfortably until 85 years old? What about 90 Your retirement income strategy needs to include the possibility of long life. The next risk is inflation or the loss of purchasing power. Inflation is the rise in consumer prices over time. It has an effect on everything from the cost of a bag of groceries to a car to a home. Inflation was relatively low over the past five years, averaging only 2.9% from 2017 through 2021 but it was especially challenging in 2021, rising 7%, the largest 12-month increase since 1982. I think we're all feeling that still. And whether you realize it or not, you've battled inflation throughout all of your working years. Yet it could be even harder to deal with in retirement when you're on a fixed income. Assuming a long-term hypothetical 3% inflation rate, The cost of a $50 bag of groceries could more than double in 30 years. That's 2.4 times more than today. Now consider how inflation could affect your retirement nest egg. After 30 years, assuming the same 3% annual inflation rate, a million-dollar retirement nest egg would have the purchasing power of only about $412,000. That's why it's essential for your retirement portfolio to keep pace with and ideally exceed inflation to avoid losing purchasing power as the years go by. The third risk is rising healthcare costs. In fact, one of the biggest worries that many retirees face is paying for healthcare. Medicare is available once you reach 65, 
but in addition to the monthly premiums, there are some fairly stiff deductibles, co-pays, and limitations. Costs will vary depending on the coverage you choose and the medical services that you need. Medicare Part B, or the medical insurance, premiums in 2022 ranged from about $170 per month to $578 per month based off the modified adjusted gross income reported on your 2020 tax return. And if you enroll in the original Medicare program, there is no annual limit on your out-of-pocket expenses. If Medicare benefits remain at current levels, a 65-year-old couple who retired in 2021 and lived an average life expectancy may need about $296,000 to pay their health expenses in retirement. Costs could be even higher for those who develop a chronic illness or incur high prescription drug costs. The next risk is unpredictability of financial markets. Market conditions can change, often unexpectedly, and sometimes dramatically. Generally, it's a case of when and not if. And if it happens when you're about to retire or when you're drawing down your retirement investments for income, it can be unsettling to say the least. And if you've monitored your TSP or other investment accounts over the last few years, this is going to be no surprise to you. Comparing the cumulative returns of the S&P 500 composite index over three different five-year periods, we would see that from 1997 to 2001 was a 66.24% return. In 2007 to 2011, it was negative 1.24%. And from 2017 to 2021, it was 133.41%. As you can see, these three time periods produced vastly different results. The final risk is sequence of returns, or the danger of experiencing poor investment returns at the wrong time. This is a significant factor in retirement when you're withdrawing money from, and not contributing money to, your investment portfolio. If the financial markets take a downturn just before you retire or in the early years of retirement, resulting in an early loss of your retirement assets, you would have a lower base of assets on which to generate income throughout your retirement years. In this scenario, you might need to reduce your spending and withdraw less from your retirement portfolio. Having sufficient cash reserves on hand or a financial product that offers guaranteed income for life may enable you to avoid selling investments during a down market. Now, our next step in developing an income strategy is envisioning your retirement. Envisioning retirement involves assessing your current financial situation, the lifestyle choices you're going to make, and the sources of income that are available to you. Hopefully, the choices you have made in the past will enable you to live the life you've envisioned. Yet it's important to remember the decisions you make now will play a significant role in how you spend your retirement years. Some of these choices could help or hinder the longevity of your retirement income streams. A few questions to ask yourself is, how do you want to spend life in retirement? How will you support your desired lifestyle? And what will you do if you haven't accumulated enough? Depending on your vision for retirement and other factors, such as your health and any debt you carry, you could need anywhere from 70% to 80% or even more of your pre-retirement income to live comfortably in retirement. The money is coming from your primary sources of income. 
In retirement, these primary sources of income are going to be FERS, personal savings and investments such as the TSP, Social Security, and continued employment earnings. One of the great benefits of being a federal employee is that you still have a pension, which provides guaranteed income for life. We discussed in earlier episodes FERS calculations, but to recap, the standard annuity formula is high three average salary multiplied by 1% multiplied again by years of service. Another way we save for retirement is using tax advantage vehicles such as IRAs and employer-sponsored retirement plans, similar to the TSP. These savings vehicles may include a variety of investments like stocks, bonds, cash alternative, mutual funds, and exchange-traded funds or ETFs, as we call them. You may also have taxable vehicles, typically securities purchased through a brokerage account outside of your retirement plan. When you retire, you'll be making decisions about what to do with these assets you currently hold. Do you keep them? Do you sell them? Consolidate them? Move them around? How will these decisions affect your taxable income? Social Security is another important decision you have to make. We also had an episode on this, but to recap, if you claim benefits at the earliest eligibility age, your full retirement benefit will be permanently reduced by 25 to 30% depending on the year you were born. You're entitled to 100% of your benefit at full retirement age, which ranges from 66 to 67 years old. For each year delay Social Security after reaching full retirement age, your benefit increases by about 8% up to age 70. Waiting to claim Social Security could not only significantly affect your own lifetime benefits, but it also may help a surviving spouse. That's because survivor benefits include any delayed retirement credits that you would earn by waiting past full retirement age to claim Social Security. Remember, if your combined income exceeds specific levels, up to 50% or 85% of your Social Security benefits will be taxable. Finally, we have continued employment earnings. Many people assume that if they don't have enough money to retire when the time comes, they'll just keep working. The reality is that even though 72% of workers think they'll work for pay in retirement, only 30% of retirees have actually worked since retiring. If you claim Social Security before reaching full retirement age and continue to work, your benefits will be reduced if your earnings exceed annual limits. Our third step in developing an income strategy is refining your investment mix. A sound investment strategy takes into account three major variables, investment objectives, time frame, and risk tolerance. Because these variables are unique to everyone, there's no one-size-fits-all retirement investment strategy. It's important to make sure that your strategy considers your individual needs and goals, time frame, and risk tolerance. Asset allocation involves strategically dividing a portfolio into different asset classes, typically stocks, bonds, and cash alternatives, to seek the highest potential return for your risk portfolio. Cash alternatives are used for preservation of principal, bonds for stability and income, stocks are great for growth potential, and mutual funds and ETFs achieve a variety of goals. So let's break this down further by first looking at income-producing vehicles. Income-producing vehicles are fixed income investments, 
income-oriented mutual funds and ETFs, dividend-paying stocks, tax-exempt investments, income annuities. Fixed income vehicles not only generate income, but help diversify your portfolio by balancing out the swings in your stock holdings. With a bond, you should receive regular, fixed amounts of income for as long as you hold the bond, unless the issuer defaults. Bond interest is taxed as ordinary income. Capital gain distributions from mutual funds and ETFs held in brokerage accounts are taxed at a favorable long-term capital gains rate, unless they result from a short-term market transaction, which is defined as one year or less. ETFs typically generate fewer capital gain distributions than mutual funds, which may make them somewhat more tax efficient. Funds that include high dividend or interest-paying securities could result in a higher tax bill. Tax-exempt investments are free of federal tax and may enable you to minimize your tax liability. Only the earnings portion of annuity payments is taxed as ordinary income. To help manage the risks associated with bonds or CDs which have fixed holding periods as well, you might consider structuring a fixed income ladder, which spreads out the maturity dates over time and will help build a more predictable income stream. So what does this look like? For example, you purchase five different bonds with maturity of two, four, six, eight, and 10 years. As each bond matures, you would reinvest the principal in bonds of longer maturities so that the latter continues. At the end of the bond term, you'll be repaid the principal in full. Now don't confuse bonds with bond funds, which are mutual funds or ETFs without defined maturity dates. The next income producing vehicle are dividend paying stocks. Dividend stocks can serve double duty in your portfolio by providing income and an element of potential growth. Also, qualified corporate dividends receive the same favorable tax treatment as long-term capital gains. As a shareholder, you receive cash dividends on a regular basis. You could also receive a specified monthly income in retirement, say $500, by selling an appropriate number of shares to provide that income stream. Remember, dividends are paid at the discretion of a company's board of directors. A company's dividend can fluctuate with earnings, which are influenced by economic, market, and political events. Though dividends can increase, there's no guarantee that a dividend will not be reduced or completely eliminated. Next, we have tax-exempt investing. The big question is how do you decide whether tax-exempt investing is right for you? Generally speaking, the higher your income, the more you benefit from tax-advantaged investing. You can look up a taxable versus tax-free investment table to see what tax-exempt yield you would need to earn to match that of a taxable one. As an example though, if your federal income tax bracket is 34%, a tax-exempt yield of 5% is the equivalent of a 6.58% taxable yield. Finally, we have income annuities. Annuities can be used to provide a reliable income stream in retirement similar to a traditional pension. They're flexible, insurance-based contracts designed specifically to provide a consistent income stream, either for a set number of years or for life. By offering the option for guaranteed lifetime income, they provide longevity protection. There are two basic types of annuities. Each is used for distinctively different purposes. Deferred annuities are designed for long-term accumulation, 
and the income you receive is postponed to some future date. Immediate annuities are designed to provide income right away. Once you pay the premium, you'll begin receiving a regular income, which is guaranteed by the issuing insurance company. So how does an immediate annuity work? An immediate annuity is attractive financial vehicle when people retire. It offers the option for a guaranteed lifetime income. The contract can last the duration of two lives, providing a payment while you and your spouse or selected individual are alive and continuing payments to the surviving individual for the rest of their life. Our final step in developing an income strategy is choosing a distribution method for tapping the assets you've worked so long and hard to accumulate. The goal is to help your assets last as long as you do. There's no perfect strategy to draw down your assets. The decision you make will largely depend on three factors. The value of your portfolio when you retire, actual investment returns, which can't be guaranteed, and the amount and timing of withdrawals, which is a factor you can control. Before converting your retirement savings into an income stream that is designed to last throughout your lifetime, you should assess the pros and cons of different drawdown strategies, which might include the following methods, the life expectancy method, the 4% rule, or the three-tiered strategy. With the life expectancy method, you would withdraw an increasing percentage of your portfolio each year based on your life expectancy. Basically, you're gonna divide your total portfolio by your life expectancy. For 25 year life expectancy, you withdraw 4%, which is one divided by 25, which equals 4%. For a 20 year life expectancy, you would withdraw 5%, one divided by 20, which equals 5%. To determine your life expectancy, you might refer to the IRS life expectancy table for determining required minimum distributions for retirement plans. There are three tables to choose from in the IRS publication 590-B, Distributions from IRAs. The advantage to the life expectancy method is that it uses a percentage of your savings that increases each year, which can help address the rising cost of living. Theoretically, your portfolio will never be depleted. The disadvantage is that poor market performance can reduce the income amount in any given year. In addition, you might have lower income in early retirement years when you might be the most active and higher income later in life. To help manage income variances from year to year, you could apply a ceiling and or a floor to the change in your withdrawal amount. Next, we have the 4% rule. The premise of this method is that if you withdraw 4% of your total account value in the first year of retirement and adjust the amount each year for inflation, your assets could last about 30 years. More recently though, the recommended strategy has shifted towards a lower three to three and a half percent initial withdrawal rate. The 4% rule strives to provide a consistent level of income adjusted each year to meet the rising cost of living, but it doesn't consider how a market downturn, taxes, or the need to withdraw more money in a given year could affect the strategy's success. Finally, there's the three-tiered strategy. As the name implies, you divide your portfolio into three tiers. For tier one, or the short term, you estimate how much you might need to live on over the next two to three years and invest that money in conservative assets, such as cash alternatives. For money you would need over the medium term, or tier two, which is from three to 10 years, 
you would invest primarily in fixed income vehicles that offer the potential for moderate returns, but also come with some price volatility. And for money you wouldn't need for a decade or more, referred to as tier three, you might invest in more aggressive investments to provide the future growth potential. Throughout your retirement, you would periodically shift assets from the long and medium tiers downward to provide for your short-term needs. The advantage of this strategy is that it divides distributions into manageable steps, offering a way to balance both current and future growth needs. The disadvantage is that it may be challenging to coordinate using multiple retirement accounts with different tax considerations. The decision isn't easy because it involves weighing the tax consequences, opportunity costs, and even emotional implications of liquidating each asset in your portfolio. Further complicating the issue is that you may have an assortment of taxable, tax-deferred, and tax-free accounts to draw from. You want to implement a tax-efficient strategy to avoid paying more taxes than you might otherwise. First is taxable before tax-deferred. This strategy is to spend taxable accounts before dipping into tax-deferred and tax-free accounts. Taxable savings and investments generally refer to individual stocks, bonds, mutual funds, CDs, and bank savings accounts. Considering using assets with the highest cost basis first. If you are financially able to leave tax-deferred assets untouched, you can potentially extend their tax advantage growth. Next is called winners versus losers. This strategy is to consider liquidating winners or highly appreciated assets before you spend the losers. Capital losses incurred in the previous year can be used to offset capital gains taxes that could result from the sale of appreciated assets. Finally, is leaving an inheritance. If your goal is to leave an inheritance, you might not want to sell some highly appreciated assets, such as property or shares of stock, that you want your family to inherit. If you continue to hold these assets, their value would be stepped up from their full market value as of the date of your death. Thus, your heirs would own capital gains tax only on any appreciation since the time of your death, not on your original basis in the property. Depending on your needs and goals, you might combine several methods. Before making any distribution decisions for the assets you've accumulated in your employer-sponsored retirement plans, like the TSP, you should evaluate the main distribution methods available to you. There are four main distribution methods available. Keep in the original plan, a lump sum distribution, systematic withdrawals, or lifetime security. Keeping your money in the original plan may be an attractive approach if you don't need to access your funds immediately and are comfortable with the costs and investments in your plan. Your retirement funds will continue to accumulate tax-deferred until you begin withdrawals or transfer funds to another tax-deferred plan. You may decide to cash out with a lump sum distribution, which would give your total control over your money. You could use it to pay off an existing mortgage, purchase a vacation home, start a business, reinvest in the markets, or any way that you like. But the tax implications of this option could be significant in the year of the distribution. Some plans will let you take systematic withdrawals, which may be a fixed amount or fixed percentage of your accumulation at regular intervals. Of course, it's possible that you could deplete your accumulation over time, depending the amount of your payouts. The lifetime annuity option offers a series of guaranteed regular payments that will last for your lifetime 
or for the joint lives of you and your specified beneficiary. Taking distributions as a single life annuity provides the maximum monthly benefit during your lifetime, but your spouse or selected survivor would receive no benefit after your death. A joint and 100% survivor annuity would result in lower monthly income, but your spouse or selected survivor would continue to receive the same benefit after your death. Lifetime annuity payments are not indexed for inflation. If you decide to annuitize, the decision is irrevocable. Guarantees are contingent on the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing company. Before you can evaluate which method is appropriate for you, you should consider the following factors, your age, liquidity needs, market volatility versus preservation of funds, income needs, and your tax situation. You can't defer taxes indefinitely on money you've accumulated in employer-sponsored retirement plans and traditional IRAs. The IRS requires that you take minimum distributions each year once you reach 72, whether you need the money or not. If you're still employed, you can usually delay your required minimum distribution, or RMD, from your current employer's plan until after you stop working. RMDs are taxed as ordinary income. Failure to take your RMD could result in a hefty 50% penalty on the amount that should have been withdrawn. You may need and can always take more than the minimum amount each year. The annual RMD is based on your age, the value of your accounts on December 31st of the previous year, and your life expectancy. You can also use the updated IRS Uniform Lifetime Table to calculate RMDs of your own situation. IRS tables can be found in publication 590-B. Another method is a Roth IRA. Some advantages to Roth IRA are that contributions, not earnings, just contributions, can be withdrawn at any time for any reason, tax-free and penalty-free. Qualified distributions of earnings are tax-free and penalty-free and is not subject to RMDs during original owner's lifetime. Qualified Roth IRA distributions are not included in adjusted gross income, so they won't affect taxability of Social Security benefits, the cost of Medicare premiums, or the net investment of income tax. Nor will they affect taxable income, which determines the tax rate on qualified dividends and long-term capital gains. Generally, a Roth distribution of earnings is considered to be qualified if it meets the five-year holding requirement and you're age 59 and a half or older, become permanently disabled or die, or use the funds for a qualified first-time home purchase. Other IRS exceptions may also apply. If you believe that high RMDs from traditional IRAs and employer-sponsored plans will push you into a higher tax bracket in retirement, consider the potential benefits of a Roth IRA conversion. Although you must pay ordinary income tax on any pre-tax assets that are converted to a Roth, any future growth in the Roth account will be tax-free. By making partial Roth conversions during years when you're in a lower tax bracket, you may be able to help manage the tax liability. And with that, we've covered four steps to develop an income strategy, preparing for the unexpected, envisioning your retirement, refining your investment mix, and choosing a distribution method for your assets. I hope the information in this episode helps you create an income strategy that will work for you. 
I also hope that you've enjoyed this series, Roadmap to Your Federal Retirement, and you found it informative. We're going to take a short break before returning with some more random episodes on various topics, articles, news, and more. If you have any topics you'd like us to discuss or have questions on anything we've talked about, please feel free to send an email to info at fedadvantage.com. Thank you for listening to the Fed Advantage podcast. I'm your host, Dan Delatore. Talk to you next episode.